Feel like you've got a lot on your plate, or maybe you've got so much going on it couldn't possibly fit on just one plate. You've got a lot of plates, fully loaded, spinning at full speed. Well, you're not alone, and you've come to the right place. I'm Liz Cerati. Welcome to Seven Plates Spinning, a podcast serving up ideas and inspiration for keeping all those plates in the air. On today's episode, we're talking about an awesome book I read recently called Start Up Your Life, Hustle and Hack Your Way to Happiness. In fact, we're not just going to talk about the book. I'm going to talk to the author of this book, Dr. Anna Akbari, and you're going to hear directly from her. Dr. Akbari is a sociologist who's done extensive research on happiness and well-being. She's a frequent public speaker and she's regularly on national media outlets, and she also coaches people and does corporate consulting. And she's authored this book that I found fascinating. It teaches you how to increase happiness and success using lessons learned from observing Silicon Valley startups and entrepreneurs and how they operate to achieve success. So I was fortunate to speak with Anna recently, and the thing I was most anxious to ask her about after reading her book was an idea she explores around getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, stepping out of your safe zone and taking risks. Because she says sometimes we need to shake things up and force ourselves out of a rut we've been living in in order to achieve progress towards success or towards happiness. But for many of us, this can be hard to do. We're comfortable in our little safe space And Anna says sometimes it takes a big life event or a turning point of some sort that gives us that little nudge we need to take the first step. Whether it's a personal health issue, whether it's a relationship uh, that ends, or whether it's something on a more national or global level, I think all of those moments ask us, invite us to rethink how we live, what we live for, what we would like our tomorrow and our today. to, to be like, and then make those choices that align with that accordingly. Yeah. And I think it can be super hard for people, particularly women, go-getter women. I consider myself one of those. We like to be in control. We like to plan ahead. And what you're talking about means embracing situations you haven't planned for and that you can't right. control. So how do you get into the right mindset to get comfortable with embracing these situations that you can't control and making them work for you instead of knocking you down? Yeah, well, two, two concepts that I talk about in the book. One is uh, the value of experimentation, which all startups do, because they're not, they're not building on necessarily you know years and years of a legacy of this is how we always do things. They're basically right. looking at how things are done and saying, what if not? You know, what if we didn't do it that way? What if we disrupted so many assumptions about that? And so by starting to apply that to your own life, instead of saying, okay, well, I know that 10 years from now, I want this. It's about small experiments along the way to kind of feel it out and see, hmm, does that feel right? Oh, okay. Well, look, that tag kind of took me along this little bit of a path. In a way, it's a revised kind of choose your own adventure way of existing Mm -hmm. as opposed to the straight linear line. Other people might look at it and say, well, wouldn't it have just been simpler if you went, did this, 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 and it would lead directly to this. And I think too often 
that's how we approach things because we think it's more about efficiency as opposed to gathering experiences, constantly checking in with ourselves and allowing some of that to marinate and to soak in and really to absorb the wisdom of the journey. Startups don't have that luxury, right? They can't just say, yep, we're, we know the path. We're going to go along this journey and we're going to get there in the next 10 years. They actually have no idea. And so that brings me to the second concept, uh, which is failure slash pivoting. <laughs> and so when you yeah. experiment, sometimes those experiments don't go so well. And startups look at failure as a learning opportunity as opposed to something to be ashamed of. It's not whether or not you fail, it's what you do with it. And I think if we start embracing that in our own lives, then things start to look much different and we permit ourselves to take risks, to take um, to, to, to grab opportunities that, that we otherwise might say, well, that's not practical or that might make, not make sense. Or, you know, and there are, for sure, there are good risks and bad risks. I'm not saying everyone should just completely say yes to everything. Um, but what if you gave yourself a bit more permission, knowing that maybe you would quote unquote fail a little bit, but that there might be some really valuable lessons and knowledge to be gained that you wouldn't otherwise have access to? Right. And you talk about not uh, worrying so much about perfection and trying mm-hmm. to achieve perfection and living your life in in beta, like a startup yes. that puts a product out there, gets feedback, tweaks something, learns from it. What does that mean to live life in beta? When a, when a company launches, it wants to have the, the bare minimum. And so it wants to just test out specific functionality. It wants to see if there's product market fit, wants to you know establish a core audience and and then tinker a bit more. And then level up from there. So this allows for that constant feedback, constant reassessment. And therefore, that risk feels less hefty in a sense. Because because it's not, oh my God, I've been holding my breath for 10 years and now I'm going to unleash it. It's, it's more like, well, today I'm going to test this out. Oh, look at that. Okay, maybe I'll implement that. Hmm, that makes me think of this. Maybe tomorrow or next week or next month, I'll try this or I'll add this onto it. Or maybe I'll strip this away and see what that does. I really like this idea of making incremental changes, assessing the outcome, and then making another tweak here or there. I also really like the idea of giving yourself permission to try and fail. But even if we know that failing is just an opportunity to learn and grow, it still can feel really crappy when you're in the moment. So it's not surprising that taking risks can be scary for many people, myself included, for sure. But apparently not everyone feels that way. I asked two of my girlfriends, Courtney and Kate, and they were both like, risks? Hell yeah, bring it on. How comfortable are you taking risks in your life? Very I feel... You said that with conviction. Very. Yes. You're very... You are a risk taker. I think I take calculated risks. I don't think I've... If Let's put it this way. If there's something that I really want to do, I'm going to suck it up and figure out a way to do it. I'm never going to sit and cry and whine about it. That's Courtney. I met her on my first day of work, fresh out of college. I had landed my dream job after journalism school at a CBS affiliate TV station as a reporter, and it turns out it was also Courtney's first day in the newsroom. We were in a small town in the Midwest. I grew up in Baltimore. She grew up in Boston. So we knew no one when we got there, and we've been close friends ever since. 
And she reminded me that we actually both did take a risk in moving out to Iowa to take that job. Now, we were young and single and didn't have a family to feed, so the stakes were much lower back then. But still, it was a fairly bold move in hindsight. I changed schools midway through college because I decided I was going to be a broadcast journalism major and thought, yeah, I'll just be a TV news reporter on TV. Many people at the time said that was crazy, that would never happen. As you well enough know, it did you happen. You proved them wrong. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I picked up and, you know, people thought I wouldn't get that job after I graduated from college and I did and I moved halfway across the country. And, and you thank know, goodness you did. Yeah. So, I mean, I've never been one to sit back and not go ahead and go for what I want. I mean, like, if I fail, I fail. I, I always sort of say, like, what's the worst thing that could happen here? Then there's my friend Kate, who I know from high school. I think that you have to have all of the information that you possibly can before you make your decision. But sometimes you just have to jump off the diving board and recognize that, you know, maybe depending on how you hit, it might hurt a little worse. Um, But that being stationary is a surefire way to a long and boring life uh, with a lot of regrets. Kate has made some pretty bold moves in both her personal and her professional life. Actually, she was in her early 30s when she started a commercial real estate firm and also around that same time helped to start a charter school for boys in Baltimore City. So Kate, yeah, she also doesn't shy away from taking the leap. You never want to be that person who's just recklessly doing things because you feel like, oh, this seems like a good idea right now and don't do your homework. You have to do your homework. But I think once you start to realize the results from having done the research and then moving forward in an informed way, um, you sort of start to feed off of the energy of it and you want more. So you heard one key thing from both of them. They're talking about calculated risk, doing your homework. These are smart, risk-loving women. They aren't being reckless about the risks they're taking. And I've known these women for many years, both of them, and I can assure you they are not talking about taking big bet-the-farm type risks here. But Anna says even taking those small risks or making seemingly small changes have the potential to yield meaningful results in your life. In a sense, you're also becoming your own personal social scientist. So as a sociologist, I like to think of how I can experiment on my own life. Um, some, some people call it biohacking, right? Um, when you're sort of tinkering with your own biology and what you can do, um, ways you can transform your own epigenetics, etc. cetera. Um, but I also think of it from a social behavior perspective. And it's amazing how much you can control or at least influence by shifting very subtle choices that you likely been taking for granted in your own life, whether it's how you show up to your family, uh, how you engage with new people, let's say at a a party where you don't know anyone, how you present to your team or to clients. Subtle, subtle things can actually shift how you're perceived and open the floodgates to different forms of communication. And, And you have all of that accessible to you right now without spending any money. And without totally turning your life upside down, I mean, yes, you're not advocating we all quit our jobs and move to New Zealand or whatever. Exactly. You know, so like so that is an awesome idea too. And I adore <laughs> New Zealand. Um, <laughs> but yes, that's exactly right. So the, the 
the at the core of that book, I am in no way saying that everyone should be entrepreneurs, but I am saying that everyone can think like one. And and to start doing that, you do not some people do need more of a radical life makeover over and they have an appetite for that. For other people, it's more of a subtle, almost energetic shift. It could even be about tweaking something in, in their own physicality, their own image. Mm-hmm. And I used to have my students uh, at NYU and Parsons do experiments where, where they would look at themselves and think about what they might be taking for granted or over-relying on and then shift that one variable and, and experiment with how they're received. Now, the interesting mm-hmm. thing about that is by changing that one variable, you're not only changing how people perceive you, but you're changing how you carry yourself and how you perceive of yourself. And regardless of whatever, whatever these small, subtle changes are that you're making that puts you out into the world as this new MVP, this new in beta. Quick note about MVP. If you're not sure what that means, it is a product development term. So we're not talking about most valuable player here. In the product development world, MVP stands for minimum viable product. And Wikipedia defines MVP as a version of a product with just enough features to satisfy early customers and provide feedback for future product development. So it means putting a prototype out there quickly. It may not have all the features you want, but you just put it out there, you get feedback, you test, you learn, and then you continue to improve the product from there. It's, it will be equal parts someone else's reaction and equal parts your own reaction. And it's that mix that I think you'll find to be really magical uh, and enlightening and offer you new paths to choose from, just from those one or two subtle changes. Yeah. And and you say like people are looking for like the right time to do it. And it's like, what are you waiting for? I like, there was a, a oh, part yeah. in the book I underlined where you said, the timing will never be perfect. You will never be perfect. The outcome, no matter how long you wait, will always be less than perfect, but nothing great was founded on perfection. I love that line. It's like, you know, you just got to do it and not stop worrying about so much yes. whether, you know, the outcome is going to be. Yeah, waiting for retirement, waiting for the kids yeah. to be older, waiting to have like enough money. You know, again, you're starting small. You can dream big, but start small in your actions. And the great thing about that is that dream then can morph. Dream big, start small. I feel like that could be my life mantra. Speaking of mantras, Anna says we should all have one. We should have a personal mantra, just like a company has a mission statement that articulates why they exist and what purpose they serve. We can develop a mantra for ourselves that will help keep us grounded and clear about how we want to show up in the world. I read this section of the book and I was like, I definitely want a mantra but I have questions about how to do it, how to pick the right one. Here I go obsessing over being perfect, even in picking my mantra, but whatever. I I need some help with my mantra. I wanted to talk to Anna about it, but we're just about out of time for today. So I want to stick to my promise to keep each episode to about 20 minutes. So I'm going to pick this up again next week for a part two of my conversation with Anna. And in part two, we will talk more about mantras, how to pick one for yourself, and also more about investing in our own happiness. This was actually my favorite part of the book where Anna talks about choosing intentionally to devote time and energy and resources to the parts of our lives that are most likely to bring us happiness. 
So we'll dive into that in part two as well. In the meantime, if you want to learn more about Dr. Anna Akbari or her book, you can check her out on her website, AnnaAkbari.com. That's A-N-N-A-A-K-B-A-R-I.com. That's all for today's episode, but I hope to see you back here again next week. If you enjoyed today's episode, please visit sevenplatespinning.com and subscribe to continue listening. And consider leaving a rating or a review on whatever platform you access the podcast. I so appreciate your support. Thanks for listening. 